with me. Father, come and speak to us. Come and comfort us. Come and challenge us with your holy word. Come and make this night where we remember the crucifixion of our Savior, make it more real to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good Friday. The day in the church year where we remember that Jesus took all the sins of humanity on himself as he was crucified. It's the day that we remember that he breathed his last on the cross and his body was placed in a borrowed tomb. How difficult I think it is for us to understand the darkness of that day. As we walk through Holy Week, as we had our service last night, Maundy Thursday, and we remembered Jesus instituting Holy Communion, the the bread and the cup, and passing it as he washed the disciples' feet, as we try every year to remember in this week what happened, I think it's hard for us to really enter in and to get it. Um, I'm aware every year that even though we strip the altar and we remove everything that reminds us um, of the resurrected Jesus, we just really can't imagine him dead, permanently dead. In today's opening prayers, we heard the word, who now lives and reigns. Even in our Good Friday liturgy, we're saying, he now lives and reigns. And so it's difficult for us to imagine the horror of his death because we know the end of the story. We know that in just a couple of days we'll all be here and we'll redress everything and we'll have lilies and we'll celebrate the resurrection. So I started to try to imagine what must it have been like on that day. What must it have been like for those who had no idea what was going to happen. And I realized that I think just, I've never contemplated the scene of the crucifixion a whole lot, but I realized that in general I've always kind of pictured that all of the disciples were there kind of huddled together, uh, comforting each other and trying to make sense of it all. And um, the reality is most likely they were not there. Most of them were probably hiding somewhere. I mean, what if the Romans came after them? What if they were found guilty by association? In Matthew 26, we read about the disciples' reaction to his address. It says, In that hour Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The Gospels do name a few people who were there. We heard them a few moments ago. Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Clopas, the beloved disciple. And one of the things that I find the hardest to believe is that Most of the people in that community 
were just going about their business. This was just another crucifixion. This was just some guy who claimed he was king of the Jews. But he wasn't just some guy to the disciples. They had spent three years with him, eating meals together, witnessing miracle after miracle, healings, deliverance of evil spirits, feeding 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two fish. If you've ever been part of a home group or, or what is called a small group, I think it probably felt a lot like that for them. I think they laughed and cried together. I think they got on each other's nerves from time to time. And after all of this doing life together, after all of these experiences, the day in and day out of life, in a series of events over several days, Jesus was arrested, placed on trial, if you could call it a trial, brutally beaten, forced to carry his own cross to the place of crucifixion, nailed to a cross, mocked and humiliated, and he is now dead. His body is lying in a tomb, and the disciples are left to go on without him. This day has to have been more powerful, more painful and shocking than any they've experienced. And I can imagine them, I was thinking today, I can imagine them kind of holed up somewhere. And, and I kind of actually pictured them kind of like how we are tonight. A, a few people here and a few here and maybe one or two over here. and Kind of together in the same space, but, but kind of on their own trying to deal with what's happened. I imagined someone weeping quietly, someone comforting someone, numb with shock and grief, and then eventually someone speaks. I remember the first day I met him. My brother and I were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He told us to come and follow him, and well, we just did. We dropped everything and followed him. It was amazing following him. Remember how he healed every disease and sickness among the people? Boy, it didn't take long for the crowds to gather around him. Remember how he taught us? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So many things I still don't really understand. And how about what he did at that wedding in Cana? The master of the banquet had no idea where that wonderful wine had come from. I will never forget how he would withdraw to a quiet place to pray. And so I would imagine they spent time remembering their time with him. It's what we do when a loved one passes on. And, and I can imagine them also trying to figure out what in the world has happened. I can hear them saying, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, did you see how that crowd went so quickly from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him? Well, I thought he was the Messiah who would overthrow the Romans. This is not what was supposed to happen. What do we do now? I guess we'll go back to fishing. And what about that last thing he said from the cross? 
The women who were there and saw it told me that his last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. In today's gospel, it didn't list those words. But when you look at all of the gospels together, there are what is commonly referred to as the seven last words of Christ. And the last one is always listed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's something special about a person's last words. When someone passes away, you will often hear those around saying, the last thing that she said was. When people are in a crisis situation and and death is imminent unless rescue comes quickly. And, and we see this now in our culture. People are texting and saying what they want their loved ones to hear them say for the last time. Because they're not sure they're going to make it out of the situation alive. I think we've all seen movies where you have two war buddies and they, they make a commitment to one another that if I don't make it out alive, you'll go and tell my loved ones my last thoughts. I did a little looking online, and I was fascinated to find out there's a woman. Her name is Lisa Smart. She's a linguist, and she founded a project called the Final Words Project. She has analyzed close to 2,000 people's end-of-life utterances and has written a book called Words at the Threshold based on that information. Recently, I saw a headline saying, um, here are Robin Williams' the actor's last words to his wife. If you do a Google search, you'll find articles like, what are the best last words ever? 64 people and their famous last words. 33 heart-wrenching last words of people on their deathbed. See, a person's last words are important. I think it's kind of like they're saying, I know my time is short, so if you remember anything from me, remember this. Or, or maybe something like, pay attention. This is important. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I learned something new about that phrase this week. I, I always thought it had kind of meant, I'm done, I'm finished, I release, I, I've, my work is complete, and I'm, I'm releasing myself to you, and I'm, I'm sure it does mean that. But I found out something fascinating. Into your hands I commit my spirit is a prayer that Jewish parents taught their children as they were growing up. It was a prayer to be prayed in the evening as they were closing out the day. Some of you will remember, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It was kind of like that. It was similar. One writer said, By praying this way, children were learning to trust God through the night while they slept. And most likely, Mary had taught Jesus this same prayer as a little boy. Every night, he would pray, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now Jesus comes to the end of his life, and the first prayer he ever learned is still on his lips. Jesus dies like a child falling asleep in his father's arms. Those present and those who heard about Jesus' final words would also have been familiar with Psalm 31. It reads like this. 
In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. So perhaps Jesus was thinking about this psalm. Perhaps he was thinking, deliver me in your righteousness or come quickly to my rescue. And perhaps in his weakened state, all he could get out was that last line, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We can't be sure. We can only imagine. But all week I have had this image in my head, this thought of Jesus facing the worst possible humiliation, the worst massive pain and suffering, deep sadness watching his mother and his disciples suffering as they watched and not being able to protect them from his brutal death. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The word commit, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek word, means to set before or entrust to. And interestingly enough, it is often used um, in Scripture for setting a meal before someone else. It is the idea that, that there's something that you possess or have control of, and you are freely giving it over to someone else. This means that a personal decision must be made, implying free will. And so Jesus had a choice. Even as he hung on the cross dying, he had a choice. And he chose to submit to the Father's will. And I was thinking, how difficult that must have been for the disciples to digest. Really, Jesus? How can you entrust yourself to someone who has let you die? Someone who allowed you to be brutally beaten and hung on a cross. Last night our preacher said that Jesus in his life and by his actions was always helping the disciples know what God was like. And when he said that, I thought, maybe Jesus is teaching them about what God is like with these last words. And and if so, what would that be? And Again, I'm trying to imagine what the disciples might be thinking. And and I'm thinking maybe they're connecting the dots and they're thinking, if Jesus could say those words after all he has suffered, if Jesus could entrust his very life to the Father, then maybe, just maybe, we can entrust our lives to him as we face this unknown future. Maybe we can entrust ourselves to the Father while we're trying to figure out what to do next. I think I can be safe in saying that none of us will likely be crucified or witness a loved one being crucified, but but don't we all have times that are really hard? Times when we think, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This isn't how I imagined things would go. 
What do we do now? I'll tell you a story. Um, We have some friends who were nearing retirement and decided, let's just, we've always had a dream to live in St. Augustine. Let's do it. So they really downsized. I mean, they, they got rid of family treasures, and they really pared their life down to simplicity and bought a small house in St. Augustine, fell in love with it. They spent some months having work done to, to make it just right for them. And before a year even hit, Matthew came. And they were concerned about a limb falling on the tree of their RV, so they moved it and went and stayed uh, with it at, their, at someone's house, only to come home and find that it had flooded about four or five feet in that area. Their house was up high, so two feet into the house. Everything from two feet down was completely ruined. New wooden floors. Um, it, it's an amazing story. Ted and, and I ended up there about 30 minutes after they arrived. And we helped them drag wet furniture and carpets out. And we helped them peel their wedding photos out of a wet photo album so that they could dry. So here they go and they they remodel. It takes months and months. They're living in their RV again. And they got the house finally just, they tweaked some things since they had to gut the walls. And I was like, well, let's move a door or two while we're at it. So they did. Now it's really perfect. And they really are loving it. And we had a celebration dinner, and it wasn't a a month, and Irma came through. And this time they prepared and raised everything up off the ground on cinder blocks, but it flooded again. And so again, all the flooring and all the walls had to be torn out. And right now, they're living in their RV with no electricity to the house because they're supposed to have it raised three feet off the ground. Tomorrow, we will celebrate the life of a beautiful woman. And I'm pretty sure her husband would say, this is not how it was supposed to go. But in the midst of this is not how it's supposed to go, and what do we do now? I have seen in both of these situations people so decided to entrust everything to God, to walk through the difficulty and entrust everything to the Father. I'm not saying it's been easy for any of them, it's not easy. But they've made the decision and they've chosen to do that. And so as I watch these friends, I'm challenged and and I'm convicted and I'm encouraged. And in a few moments, we will pray what are called the solemn collects. And the last one we will pray before we close begins with these words. Let us commit ourselves to our God. We're going to take a moment now before those prayers begin to prepare prepare ourselves to pray that with courage.
that we would commit ourselves to our God. Ask the Lord to show you, to show me, where we need to entrust ourselves, our loved ones, our circumstances to the Father. Where do we need to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, my life, my circumstances.